Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 160 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jewel Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. The Tayaroa is New Zealand's longest hiking trail, traversing the length of the North and South Islands for a distance of around 3,000 kilometres. In late 2019, in episode 124, we interviewed musicians Mickey and Michelle just before they set out on their epic 3,000 kilometre journey on this amazing trail. Their experience was a bit different than most as they planned to continue working as musicians as they went. COVID interrupted their trip and now a little over three years later, they have completed their journey. In this episode, we catch up with them to find out about their experience and what they thought of New Zealand's longest hiking trail. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Mickey, Michelle, welcome back to the Australian Hiker Podcast to talk about this amazing trip. All right, to be back. Now, before we talk about your hike, it's been a little over three years, so just give us a brief reintroduction to yourself, uh, uh, your involvement in hiking, and also your music background as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're both full-time musicians. Michelle plays the harp. I play the fiddle and sing. Uh, we've played in, you know, a lot of different bands. But we started this duo with the idea of doing the TATRL trail in New Zealand. Back in 2019. Yes. <laughs> we didn't realise it would take three and a bit years to complete. <laughs> um, but it's been quite a journey with COVID right in the middle. Yeah, and so uh, in September 2019, we started hiking the trail and we were um, playing gigs along the way. So we we brought our instruments with us and we would get them shipped from gig to gig and we would walk to each venue and play. So we, the first year, the first time, (laughs) um, we did something like 20 gigs and 2,500 kilometres. So we started yeah. At the north and hiked south. A fair chunk. It's a 3,000-kilometre trail. So we did the majority. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, obviously COVID came. And, um, yeah, that was an interesting time. Everyone's got their COVID stories of where they were at that time. And we were um, we were actually in the bush, of course. <laughs> um, we had five days of no reception. And it was quite blissful, to be honest. Yeah. And we'd heard of this, you know, this thing, it's flu-esque, yeah, COVID going was like around this. in the northern hemisphere, and yeah, we popped out of those five days. Um, we got reception, and it was a whole different world, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was quite amazing, actually. And yeah, we sort of decided to go for go for the airport and try and get home, which we did. All right. Now we'll talk about the trail and your previous journey in a moment. But what made you decide to do the uh, the trail in the first place? I think that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'd done the Australian Outs Walking Trek, which is a six-week hike in Australia, and that at the time felt like the biggest thing in the world, and it is huge. And But once I'd done that, I was like, fantastic, <laughs> amazing, um, something bigger. And, yeah, it just sort of showed up, you know, oh, the Tauraroa Trail, you know, length in New Zealand. And although it was, you know, it's a lot longer, it's sort of it's quite a well-set-up hike, unlike the Australian Outs Walking Track. So that kind of, I found that appealing because it was a lot more hiking and I'd already done so much kind of prep for the Australian Outs. And it was basically, the whole music thing happened because when I when I came, when I told Mickey that I wanted to do this trial, he's like, oh, cool, um, I don't want to spend six months away from playing music. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, apparently I'm fine to spend six months away from playing music, although I thought I was at the time. <laughs> so then sort of went away and had to think about that and then came back with this idea. Um, yeah, how would you feel about, you know, what if we did gigs along the way? Um, <laughs> which all sounded very grand and then we had to figure out how we're actually going to do that. But 
that seem to get you enticed in it with you. Yeah, yeah. Look, I play my violin a lot of hours a day, <laughs> and um, although I really do love hiking a lot, yeah, six months was it's a long time. <laughs> a long time. So at first, I was considering just doing the second half, but yeah. then, um, yeah, Michelle had this idea, and it just sort of I was re- I jumped at it like I was really keen. Yeah, and um, you were very keen. <laughs> Yeah, it just sort of worked. But Les was saying, we didn't actually play together before then um, as a band, so then it became about actually our prep for the hike was actually trying to make a band and an album (laughs) and um, not so much actual hiking prep. Now, I think for for those that didn't already listen to episode 124, um, uh, Michelle actually plays a harp, uh, which is probably just a tiny bit big to carry with you on your hikes. Uh, Absolutely. Just a little. And, and again, I think even though a violin's a bit smaller, it's probably not the sort of instrument uh, you can stuff into a backpack. So, <laughs> yeah. frankly, considering in the future about like getting a cheap one and mm. a small case, like I think it could be done. But no, yeah. the harp is a, oh, yeah. another the challenge. Is such a deal breaker. Like, yeah, we definitely have seen, you know, like ukuleles and violins not dissimilar. Like you're saying, maybe a bit more delicate or, or more expensive than ukulele, but you could get a cheap one and do that. But yeah, yeah the harp is a big problem. Um, we did not carry them. Some people were imagining that we were, um, and that didn't – well, I mean, look, there was times where we carried them, but not not for very long. Yeah. Um, we actually, in order to get them uh, shipped around the country, we actually just asked people at our gigs if anyone was going to the next location. Um, mm, someone which we didn't, always was. Yeah, someone always was. We didn't really know how that was going to turn out, did we? We, th- we had a plan B, which is where we would take the instruments to where they need to be next, and then we would – I guess kind of back. back. Yeah, and then walk. We never had to do that. We always just asked our audience and it worked. Yeah, we, we generally play two sets and in the break in between the first one, we say, hey, if anyone's going to the next destination, like in the next two weeks, because it might take us, you know, two weeks or three weeks to walk the next 300 kilometres, um, you know, and it's a three-hour drive for them. So someone would always stick their hands up. We'd give yeah. them our instruments and <laughs> off we go. Like, And it just it worked every single yeah, time, amazing. like without any drama. Yeah, that's that, cool. that's that's very that's very trusting of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what a lot of people say. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I mean, you know, these are people who have you know paid to come to a folk gig. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like they're fairly trusting people. They're paid to be there. They want to see us. I mean, yeah, it is. Our instruments are—they would be hard to try and sell if you sell them. <laughs> I think mine would be one of the only types of that harp in the country. Um, yeah, I was going to say, there's not, there's, not, there's not much of a black market for harps, is there? I don't, I don't <laughs> I hope not. I don't think so. Checking um, out the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. But look, yeah, it is like we did have to sort of word people up just about being, you know, careful. A big yeah. one is sun. Actually. Yeah, don't leave them in the don't sun or in the car. Yeah. You know, it's like a, a dog. <laughs> yeah. Now, in addition to the music side of things, you're also uh, you're doing. You were, I think, you were looking at doing this as a fundraiser at some stage. Tell us a bit about that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were fundraising and also just awareness generally for osteoporosis, which is something I was diagnosed with. It was like a while ago now. I think I was 23, 24. and yeah, it was one of the things that got me into hiking was just general bone health. Um, because weight bearing and exercise, you know, carrying your pack around <laughs> up and down mountains is quite good for your bones. So um, that sort of got me into hiking. And so, yeah, we looked at doing a little bit of awareness and fundraising, um, which was really great, actually. We would also talk about it at our gigs, and I'd always have people would come up to me afterwards and tell me their story. And it was sort of nice to kind of get it out there a bit. I feel like it's one of those sort of conditions that people sort of tend to hide away a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think also, I mean, it's a it's a it's a condition you tend to associate with old age. So, being diagnosed as twenty at twenty three, I mean, before talking to you, I I don't think I'd ever considered someone your age of ever getting osteoporosis. Yeah, it's an awareness thing. Like there, um, it's we. I'm working actually with um, Osteoporosis Australia, also known, well now known as Healthy Bones Australia, because prevention and early diagnosis is yeah, it's rare to have an early diagnosis. It's not that people don't have it; it's that they don't know because it aspects of it is a silent disease um before you have like a fragility fracture basically yeah so yeah it's there um but yeah it's not that well known about i suppose now getting back onto the hike again and now what date did you actually start the original hike the 29th of september um 2019 and i don't know if you remember or not but we i actually started without mickey because he had a broken toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have osteoporosis. No. He's the one that broke a toe. 
four weeks before we started. Was due to start. Yeah. Was due to start. And because we had gigs booked, um, we decided that I would start. And he joined me two weeks to the – yeah, two weeks afterwards, which meant that it was six weeks to the day after his broken toe yeah. that he started. Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing. It's amazing what a broken toe can do. It's yeah, it's a, such a tiny <laughs> little bone, but uh, it's probably one of the yeah. more painful ones to. And to, I broke it good. Broke it very well. Did a good job. Yeah, no, my wife, my wife Jules, done that, and again, it just, just, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's that's it. Walk as little as you can, but definitely no hiking. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're training so hard before it as well. Like we're every second day, we're doing like weights no, and yeah, running and running. things. And then I just had six weeks of sitting still in a boot. <laughs> <laughs> Not ideal, but it worked. Yeah. All right. So now, again, getting back to the original hike, when had you <laughs> planned on finishing that hike? Because I think you, I think you ended up finishing, what, roughly two or three weeks uh, off uh, early because of COVID. Was that the case? Yeah. Yeah. I think we'd actually planned. So we we had to fly out on the twenty fourth of August. No, of March. March. Yeah. Um. I think we'd planned to finish around April, but remember that we are very slow because <laughs> yeah. we keep stopping for gigs. <laughs> so I think we, yeah, we only had 420 kilometres left. Um, and yeah. I think that's roughly about sort of 20 days Yeah, because it's flattish in areas. Um, but we had some gigs we were stopping for. Yeah. yeah, so I want to say mid March. Okay, yeah. which is which was pretty much when the the pandemic hit just about everybody. So it's, it sounds about the right sort of date. Uh, it, and, and I know certainly being in Australia, it was like not a problem, not a problem. Then oh, it's a problem. We, we need to do something quickly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, as you say, being being out bush and being out off radio contact for that sort of a period, it it, it went from being being no issue to being a major issue, and everything happened very quickly. So yeah, it would have been a, a a short sharp turnaround for you guys to try and get back to Australia before you you ended up staying in New Zealand for a number of months. Exactly. Yeah, which we considered. Um, we, we had two offers from some friends we've made along the way, and they were both really good ones. Mm. Um, that yeah, we were really really considering, but then. Uh, we just happened to find this flight, like a really last-minute flight um, that was... It was so unknown, wasn't it? Yeah. We just went, okay, and so we're like, oh, that. you know what, we should be near our family or... Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Now, in relation to the logistics, ig- ignoring the COVID interruption, how many days did you actually spend on trail doing this walk? Oh, great question. That's a good one. If, this is hard because we kept... <laughs> we kept we would stop and we would take off like four days or so and play a gig. So, yeah, that was sort of, I guess, our rest days. Yeah. Pretty much. We didn't really have rest days on trail very much. Not particularly. Unless, oh, sorry, unless we were playing. So, like. So, that was our rest days, I guess. It's kind of, I feel like without gigs and COVID, I feel like maybe five months. Okay. That's what we would walk around. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Isn't that fair? Yeah. yeah. So, um, that, that's, and yeah, it's not. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's roughly about, roughly around about 20 kilometres a day by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Definitely. Like we're certainly not um, ultralight, you know, bullets. Speed? No. <laughs> um, and but we're not slow either. Um, I think we're pretty average. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty k's a day feels pretty fair. What that means on TA, probably like lots of hikes, is that you're going to have areas that are very flat that you do need to do thirty, and then yeah. you're going to have ones that are really mountainous where you kind of do twelve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, I was going to say the mountains in New Zealand are slightly higher than what mm. we're used to over here. So, pointy, <laughs> very pointy. Yeah. Now, uh, from memory, you started in the north and headed south. Why did you pick that direction? Yeah, um, there's a couple of reasons, but the one of them is just sort of the time frame works mm. best for us. Like, um, so when if you go north to south, you can start a little earlier because. Um, they, they ask you not to go before September because it's lambing season and in the North Island you walk through a lot of farms. Okay. Uh, whereas if you walk north to south, um, <laughs> sorry, south to north, <laughs> sorry. Um, we call it Nobo and Sobo, like northbound, southbound. Um, yep. if, you're he- if you're heading north, uh, they you have to start later because um, of the snow. So, like, you head to a bunch of really high-altitude snowy areas, so you need that time to melt. Yeah, it's sort of – there isn't that much – too high in the North Island, is there? So you're not really waiting for any sort of weather 
snow to melt in the North Island. Yeah. You can start earlier. And I think the other thing is also that everything we'd read said the majority of the people go southbound and we're, you know, we're sheep, so we want to follow in the footsteps of everyone. <laughs> another, another thing to me was that when I did the Australian Outs walking track, I went north and that means that you, the, the sort of hardest terrain was first. Yeah. And I really kind of hurt myself, my knees on that, and then like healed over the sort of flatter terrain. So I was like, if we're going, what about making the easy terrain first? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's commonly then, known that the North Island is a lot easier yeah. than the South. It's just a lot flatter. So you get your legs, you know, you spend the whole North Island pretty much getting your legs ready. And then, but and then you hit the South Island, it's like, okay, I've done three months of hiking, you know, I'm ready for this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. I think I think that sounds reasonable. I must admit, I was aware of the snow. I wasn't aware of the lambing season. I hadn't, hadn't even considered something like that. But as you said, it's uh, it's walking through people's farms. It's uh, it's going to be an issue. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So take us through the trip itself. What did a typical day on trail look like? That's such a cool question because it's so <laughs> it's such a very that was a very politician answer, wasn't it? <laughs> Interesting question. Thank you. Um. It, it really does depend. So like we mentioned before, the North Island is a lot like mostly farms, mm. I would say. Yeah, there's not as many sort of national parks, are there? No. Um, sorry, and that's not to say there aren't any. There's, there's definitely oh, some. sorry, where the trail goes through too. Yeah. yeah, but like the majority of the, like the first half of the North Island, like you're walking through farms almost every day. Some days you're even walking along a road for the whole day, like mm. which is devastating. Um <laughs> But then once you get sort of halfway through the South Island, yeah. sorry, North Island, what is wrong with me? Uh, once you get halfway through the North Island, that's when you start going through bush tracks, which are pretty similar to what you might expect in Australia. Um, and then the mountains start coming in. Um, yeah. And, and the the difference I would say if you're an Australian hiker is that everything is just generally wetter. So mm. like many days you're walking through a river, like along through a river, like that's just the trail, or else <laughs> you cross the same river, you know, seven to 12 times in a day. Uh, and that's just what you do. So like, yeah, wet feet the whole time. And we, then, we've never experienced that before. No, it was flabbergasting. <laughs> and then once you get to the South Island, everything gets pointy. Like it's if you look at the elevation map of the South Island, it's just like a stegosaurus's back. Like it's so pointy. And 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 even then, like you're you're climbing through really dry like scree, what we call like loose sort of rock on top of a mountain. Rock and rock. And that's like crumbling, you know, and then you get down so it feels really dry, but then all of a sudden there's a river like on top of this mountain that you're wading through. Like it's yeah. it's a real like Jurassic World, you know, <laughs> like it feels very old. No, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say, in, in some respects, it sounds very much like uh, Tasmanian hiking, at least, at least in some areas of the island. Because I, I know, having lived in New Zealand for a couple of years, it's sort of some of it, you know, uh, certainly the western half of the North Island is is very much like rural New South Wales, but the, the eastern side is very different again. So mm-hmm. um, it doesn't yeah, right. it doesn't surprise me that you, you'd get a bit of variation, but. I must admit I wasn't actually thinking about river crossings and things like that, but uh, it's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a big, I think, um, well, I don't know if it's a big debate or not, but a lot of um, what shoes you wear on this hike is a bit of a thing because you do end up with wet feet for so much of it. And, like, we ended up, we, we, we were wearing trail runners the whole time. That that was fine. Yeah. But it just means that then, like, you just walk straight into the water with them, essentially, yeah. and then you walk. 3Ks in the water with them and then they dry off and you get out and it just means you don't have to swap things over or, yeah, kind of just don't worry about it really. If you're okay, like you just get used to having wet feet. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. I, I, must admit, I, was, I was going to say, I must admit, I, yeah, I've just done the South Coast track in um, in Tasmania and cool. uh, um, I, 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 uh, I took an extra pair of socks, but really to, ca- to get dry feet on that track, you'd have to take three pairs of socks a day. Um, and, yeah. and it, you know, it's just one of those trails you expect to have wet feet and that's just the way it yeah. is. So this sounds very that's similar in that respect. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. All right. Now, what about accommodation? Were you tenting it? Were you doing homestays or staying in motels? What's the, what's the typical um, process of, um, of homestay, or, you know, of accommodation? Yeah. That's a good question. So North Island, quite a few caravan parks. I would say is the saying there's less national parks and you've actually um because New Zealand does have a lot of huts but not really that many in the North Island. In fact, I think we walked a month or so before we got to our first hut, maybe even longer. Yeah, kind of thing. So yeah, a lot of 
caravan park's actually quite expensive, I would say. Yeah, it was. Um, it took us by surprise. Yeah, it did. We sort of knew that, but yeah. Um, and then as you get a bit further down North and you, yeah, there are sort of some huts that start popping up, which is really nice. Another big thing is Trail Angels, which you can find on various ways, but there's a Facebook group for them, which are, you know, really, really helpful. Um, people who just open up their home or their front lawn or something um, to have you, you know, to stay the night or um, sometimes for free, but often for a koha, which is just Māori for a donation. And these people are really lovely, people who, you know, like hikers and like hearing stories and that kind of thing. Um, so very helpful if, you know, say the caravan park is full or you just, you know, it's, it's sort of a nicer experience, isn't it, staying with locals than it is. Um, for me, I find, rather than the caravan parks. But in the South Island, um, much more huts or wild camping, I suppose, or both. Okay. Um, so you have a tent the whole time. Um, pretty, yeah, the whole yeah. hike. You completely self-contain the whole hike. And then there's, yeah, varying options. You can – there are some sort of trail angels things because you do roll into towns and there's caravan parks or trail angels. Yeah. Um, generally, the South Island, you walk through the middle of the country, which yeah. is just in generally less populated. Yeah. So, like, various points you actually have to hitch out of the trail to yeah, to restock on food. Yeah. So there's there's less – there's definitely less trail angel action, but – yeah, um, and more wilderness and all of that. Yeah, and I can't remember if we mentioned it, but we had a – you buy, like, a hut pass mm. for six months. Yeah, six months or a year. Um, and it was, like, $100 or $90 yeah, something. or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it makes its money back pretty quickly because I think you're supposed to spend, like, $5 each per yeah. hut per night. Yeah. Um, yeah, the backcountry – they have a few different grades of huts in New Zealand. Yeah, And the trail goes on a few different ones. There's a couple of times that it crosses um, – the Great Walks is what they call them. How many did we figure out? There's under 10 of those. There's about 10. Yeah, I think it actually crosses like maybe three of them or something like that. So you do have to watch out for those ones because you do have to pre-book those ones. But the other sort of huts are kind of like, you know, fancy Australian huts. Oh, they put Australian <laughs> huts to shame, I'm afraid. Um, but, but but yeah, that the backcountry hut, hut pass, yeah. Yeah, so like they're choose. maintained. They'll have toilet, um, yeah, they'll drop have toilet, toilet, you know, mattresses. Ooh. <laughs> Like, we stayed at one that had a gas oven. Yeah, well, that's unusual. Yeah, but um, and so us as, as Australians, we were, like, so blown away. And then all the Europeans and Americans were like, oh, these huts are terrible. And it's like, oh, guys, do not come to Australia. We love our Australians. Yeah, we love them. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. It's sort of, uh, you know, particularly in Europe, but, you know, normally what they're thinking about, and particularly in some of the ones in New Zealand, these these huts are designed to be used in snow conditions, um, more, so, it- more so in Europe. But, uh, yeah, in New Zealand, you know, in Australia, we don't think about that as much. They're, you know, particularly mm-hmm. in Australia, they tend to be emergency huts uh, rather than yep. things you book at and stay at. So Yeah. Now, yeah. What, uh, what time of the morning did you typically start on each day? Did you have a, a time you, you tried to get away at? Yeah. Um, we got – I'm not the best at rising <laughs> early, but um, we definitely got into a habit of sort of getting up at six or maybe yeah. sometimes even a little bit before yeah. and then leaving within the hour of waking up. About so, seven. you know, back yeah, up the tent and breakfast. We'd de- yeah, we'd always try to be on the road by seven. Sometimes we're a little bit carefree, <laughs> um, especially like in the later months – sorry, in the summer months where you've got more sun – Light, you can afford to be a little bit more. Yeah, down lax. south of the South Island, it doesn't get like it's dark, dark at like ten thirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of wild. So not that we want to walk for fourteen no. hours a day, but <laughs> you if you did want to, you could. Have, honestly, some people did. I know. Um, but yeah, we we would generally be on the road by seven. Um, do somewhere between seven and twelve hours of walking a day. Yeah, I think in general, um, yeah. depending on the terrain, and then yeah, hopefully get in by four, five, six, <laughs> seven. <laughs> I must admit, I'm I'm one of these people. If it's light, I, I can't just you know it's, it's okay if you if it's going to be you know it's light and you know, it's going to be dark in ten minutes, but if it's light and you've still got three or four hours to go, I've got to be walking. Um, so yeah, yeah right. I, I think I, I think if I was if it was me, I'd probably end up doing fourteen hour days. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we 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 both have eye masks yep. um, because if we want to go to bed at eight pm, that means that we can actually get to sleep. Yeah, because the sun's still up. <laughs> so yeah, that's I think that yeah, we found we were generally sort of in bed by eight to nine pm, and yeah, yeah. It's completely light. So that really helped us to deal with that. We call eight pm hikers midnight, yeah. and if you stay up. Midnight, you're being really naughty. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I must admit, I uh, on the, the the South Coast track that I did, I was um, I didn't go to bed and uh, on one night until after ten o'clock, and that's I've never done I've never I've never done that before. <laughs> so, not, not, yeah. <laughs> now you talked a bit about um, food before, but what was your resupply strategy? Were you picking up food from uh, designated towns, or were you sending boxes ahead of yourself? What were you doing there? Bit of both, actually. Um, North Island yet again, you can you can come into a town every couple of days in some sections. Uh, we would generally would do about five days because we couldn't be bothered sort of resupplying or going to shops that much. <laughs> We'd rather walk past some of them. And we sort of pretty comfortable to carry five days. So we would do that. So, yeah, walk straight into the supermarket and resupply. Um, there was a couple of longer stretches in the North Island. You do um, – we did seven days on the Monganoo River and that was – Yes, yeah, so we did seven days resupply yeah. there. So it was a couple of longer stretches. But um, in the South Island, um, we posted 27 days ahead of us, um, which is pretty standard. You can, you don't have to do that. You've got, um, depending obviously how fast you walk, you kind of, you're sort of doing a week, aren't you, Nikki? I think yeah, week, I think and it's you restock a week and then you restock. Three restocks, is that right? Was Something it four? like that. I can't remember. But you're, but you're only in a tiny little town. It doesn't have a proper supermarket. Like it just has, you know, like the a, gas station. Is a everything. petrol station, yeah. Yeah, with only a couple of little things. Um, so it would be a very expensive resupply with very limited <laughs> things. Or people hitch out at those points if they want to and resupply. But just to save us time, um, we posted everything from Wellington, which is the bottom of the North Island. So that 27 days ahead of us, we posted it down to the South Island to various areas. And that was great. Yeah. And that was nice because that, that sort of month was like, the most sort of wildernessy experience wasn't it? Because it didn't, you know, you had a little town that you rolled into, but there wasn't much there, and then you kept going, you got your food box, and you kept yeah. Going. And it was sort of like the North Island is is so much more populated, and like the the way that the trail works, like you're either walking through, yeah, like farms, like we mentioned earlier, into you know towns and cities regularly, and then all of a sudden it's like boom, mm. you're in the South Island, you posted 27 days of food. <laughs> Like, you're not going to see anyone. And, and then that's when the mountains really kick in. So it was this big yeah. contrast. Yeah, it was a nice contrast, wasn't it? Mm. All right. Now, what, what about water? I'm, I'm imagining that it, water would be readily available, it, um, more so in the South Island, I suppose, but even in the North Island? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> we still don't. Like, we, we're just sort of, we're so Australian in our way of thinking about water that we are quite conservative in that we tend to carry a lot that we don't actually need because we've been burnt here before, you know. Yeah. And it's not something you want to do without. So pretty much everyone without foul, because Mickey carries his bottles on the outside of his pack, will go, whoa, you're carrying a lot of water. And every person we see, especially, hey, that's a lot of water. Like, should I be right? And, yeah, because we've a couple of, I think once or twice in Australia, we've sort of run out of water maybe two yeah, hours well, before. Yeah, we all have to like, be conservative, which is just not nice It either. just sucks. And then, and then so then we're, like, yeah, we carry, um, we have the ability to carry three litres each, and then we also have a bladder with, another four litres that we can take. And so our three litres are always full. And, yeah, I've got these, yeah, my water on the front of my pack. So everyone can see these three litres. <laughs> and then we're seeing people carrying, like, a one-litre, yeah. like, little bottle. Which you can do. You can um, do, I would. one area, I would say, probably the Richmond Ranges, that is a drier area that some people got in trouble with if they were only carrying one litre. But yeah. otherwise, you can carry small. You just have to refill all the time and, and whatever kind of, uh, filtering system, if you want to filter, whatever filtering system you have, you just need to use that all the time, I suppose. What was we tend to use one filtering system, like we filter our water at night time or in the morning, and then we have it done for the day. So I guess that means that we carry a bit more. Yeah. And I gotta admit it, you you don't feel very smart when you've when you're lugging <laughs> your pack around, you've added three kilos of water to it and you're walking next to a river for the next two hours. Yeah. <laughs> what am I sipping? We would dump some sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of water. I must admit, I must admit, I am. Um, I'm. I, I'm a bit in your camp. I prefer to filter once, uh, and you know, if I have to yeah. stop and keep on topping up a liter every few hours and filter it, yeah. that would just drive me insane. I'd rather carry it. So, but but yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- three liters will probably do me for a day. I think, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I yeah. pre- prefer to filter once. So. Yes, we agree. Yeah. Now, while I used to live in New Zealand, I haven't done a lot of hiking over there, so. In relation to the landscapes from north to south, sort of, can you build us a bit of a picture about the style or the types of landscapes that you're walking through? Well, you start on a beach, <laughs> 100 k's or so on the um, 
from Cape Ring on a beach. And that's the first fit, actually. The first day is really lovely. She kind of go up and down like the escarpment and in and out of sort of, you know, kind of beach, beach shrubby bushes and stuff. But then you hit just like, I think it's 90. I can't even remember how many kilometres just on a flat, straight <laughs> beach. And that's, that's a bit painful, I found, personally. But then you're straight into a mighty forest after like four days. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's, so beat, you do a fair bit of beach hiking, mostly on the North Island, a little bit at the end of the South Island. Yeah. Um, so North Island is beach, muddy forests. Rolling fields. Rolling so fields. So many of them. <laughs> and then. Bush like, tracks. Yeah, bush tracks. Some like kind of volcanic sort of stuff because you go up and over Tongariro Crossing and Wanganui. So. Yeah, we probably mentioned this before. Yeah, but canoeing. The, the Wanganui River, you canoe, um, you can either do something like 170 or 250 kilometres and that just means five days or seven days. Yeah. We did the seven days and it was the best. It was really, it was fun. really, really beautiful. Yeah. It's such a nice change. You know, you've been on your feet for like two months at that point or something and suddenly you could use your arms. It yeah. Very small at that point. <laughs> and you hear about some hardcore people who um, just walk like the trail next to it because, you know, they want to walk every step of this trail and it's just like I can't imagine skipping. It's like it's a total highlight of the whole thing. Yeah. So awesome. That's fun. And then you've got um at the end of the if you're going south at the end of the North Island, you come across the Tararua Ranges, which is just after Palmerston North, kind of sort of coming into Wellington. No way into Wellington. And they're brutal. Yeah, they're brutal, and they're the first real kind of mountain range that you come across in the North Island, and very up and down. Even though maybe they're not the highest mountains in the world, it doesn't matter. They're so going, steep, though. They're so steep, yeah. And that's great because that really kind of gets you ready for the South Island, I think. Yeah, they were like the first time we had to start doing plus 10-hour days, I yeah. think, like 10, 11, even 12. Yeah, we did. They were really, really hard. And, like, astonishingly beautiful, oh, yeah. but just, like, they were great. very <laughs> steep. They were lovely. Um, so that's kind of North Island. Things, obviously, in the South Island, it's just high mountains, suddenly you're getting <laughs> scree and rock on top and absolutely amazing views. Um, some areas are a bit drier, like saying the Richmond Ranges, suddenly there's lots of rock. It actually, some of it, um, we've hiked to Lara Pinta and some of that actually reminded me of Lara Pinta, you know, in Alice Springs. Yeah. And But but some, but all of the rivers are running, <laughs> yeah. which is such a contrast. Um, and then, yeah, and then you're into like sort of more muddy forests sometimes. I yeah, think. muddy forests, like, uh, like, or even sort of dry forest yeah. tracks, like, and then um, sort of really big plains as well, like the middle of the South Island, like think, around the Methven area. Yeah, because the, the Terroir Trail, you know, it's, it's a hiking trail, and New Zealand down the centre has like technical mountains that are, you know, like 3,000, um, which you don't go up, <laughs> you go yeah. to either side of them. Sometimes, I think a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time you're sort of on the eastern side of them, yeah. which is where it's going to be drier. But I think sometimes you cross over to the western side, didn't we? Yeah. And that's when it's, that's when suddenly it's a lot wetter and like there's way more things like sandflies <laughs> and yeah. just general mud and that kind of stuff. So you're sort of getting a bit of both depending on, yeah, which side of those mountains you're on. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, one of my favourite days was, the day coming before coming into Lake Hawaii, so this is around like the 2,400 kilometre mark or something. Actually, before we got stopped the first time. Yeah. Um, you're walking through a river the whole day and like, you know, sort of hip height river <laughs> and you just go down it. Like it's so amazing. And, and of course, it's New Zealand, so it's crystal clear blue water. Um, yeah, amazing water. The yeah. Color is, I know so like awesome. I guess there's lots of sort of glacial things there, aren't there? We're just so different to here. So I guess what I'm getting at is it's a very, very. <laughs> it is. It's really varied. Yeah. Um, and then like the the last day that we did, so like walking into Bluff, you know, like the very here's the here it is here's the end. You walk along a highway for 17 <laughs> kilometers that day. So we go to some people like really push themselves because they're ready to finish and do you know massive like 50, 70, 80 kilometer days. Yeah. But we kept it to a general 34 <laughs> and even then 17 k's on the highway just destroyed no. me like it doesn't, matter, so if you do it fast. It doesn't matter and like we only had one pack between us <laughs> and i was still just like just kill me but getting to the end was really really beautiful yeah fortunately the last little bit of the south island the um you go back into the kind of bush stuff so yeah, yeah but there is a highway for a fair yeah. yeah, I think that that's one of the criticisms of the Tara. It's sort of, the, I think that they're still trying to get rid of the road walking, but you know, it's better off to get the trail up and going, and then 
then work on trying to uh, make the the trail more natural in areas that you can. But it's a, it's a slow process that'll take a few it years is. to get sorted. It's a huge yeah, and the, the team do such great they work. Do such like, work. Um, I think, as far as I know, I think that it's currently fifteen percent um, road walking, and they're trying to get it down yeah. to ten. Like that's their big goal. Well, actually, that last we were talking about, like you know, we're complaining because it was a road walk. It's actually they've built an amazing side walk, so you're not actually even on the highway. That's true. Which you know, still it's not nice walking next to a highway, but it's even better not to walk actually on the highway. <laughs> so, yeah, you yeah. know, they are doing are spending money where they can on those places, which is great. Now you mentioned muddy forests. Were you were you, were you wearing gaiters mm-hmm. at all, or what? Uh, you just put up with the mud. Yeah, we <laughs> look. There's a point where they don't. <laughs> it went over the gaiters. Yes, we do have. But and they're up to just below our knees. But sometimes it went up and over. Didn't it? Yeah, I love my gaiters as well. And again, kind of like the boots thing. It seems they're going out of style a little bit. Like lots of people. Oh, you better have snakes there as well. Yeah. So that's another thing. Um, we Mickey wears his fair bit. He's also quite a bit allergic to. Oh, actually, grasses. that's a good one. Since <laughs> since we came back, like the first time, walked through the bush, fine. This time, walk through a couple of thistles and then my legs just swell up, like, um, so badly. Um, and, yeah, it looks like I'm having some sort of – I guess I am having some sort of allergic reaction or something, yeah, but are. it just looks like I'm about to die. So, um, yeah, I was pretty diligent with my gators this time. And also we just like them because it means less sunscreen and yeah, stuff like that. But, yeah, what Michelle's talking about is, is just towards the end there's this place called the Longwood Forest that typically takes two days. Some hardcore people can do it in one. But um, it's two days of pretty intense mud. So, like, there were times where it was, like, well above knee deep. Mm. Um, <laughs> and and there's sort of no way around it. Like, really you just what gotta, you're wearing at that point. <laughs> and that day is, like, a 10 or 11-hour day, and you just sort of you slog through it, and then you get to the camp, and there's no real running water source. So you take those muddy things <laughs> off, and then you put them on again the next day, and you keep going. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty grueling. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, we are gator wearers, definitely, and especially, especially in Australia. Oh, love my gators. Yeah. <laughs> what about animals? So, I mean, obviously, if you're walking through farms, you're getting farm animals. As you mentioned, there are no snakes in New Zealand. Uh, so what are we, what are you, what were you seeing in relation to wildlife over there? Lots of birds. Yeah, birds. Their main, yeah, besides introduced species, it's mainly birds, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, lots of tuis. We actually didn't get to see a kiwi. We heard them, but we didn't see one. Um, Weckers, another little cheeky bird. Yeah, cheeky bird. Um, But yeah, mostly birds. There are, you'll see some deer. Like wild. Wild, yeah. Lots of goats. Yeah, wild goats are sort of feral ones. Um, So feral species that are introduced there. Some stoats kind of thing. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, cows and sheep. Hedgehogs. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there are Which hedgehogs. are very cute, but unfortunately oh, do a lot of damage and they're hated by the, the yeah. locals. Also, oh, no. um, the possums. The Australian possums. <laughs> so we introduced the possum at some point, not me and Michelle, but, <laughs> um, at some point, and they have just spread like wildfire. Everyone hates them. And it's just like, again, they're so adorable, but they're yeah. doing a lot of damage. Yeah, because they don't have any predators there sort of thing. And, and there's lots of, you know, beautiful bird life there, which is why it can flourish in the past because it hasn't been predators but yeah things like the possums they eat the eggs and that sort of stuff but anyways yeah so mostly birds are the natives isn't it i believe yeah. they have some native bats and stuff too but i don't actually know if we saw any bats yeah like you're not going to see some sort of great new zealander beast you know roaming the <laughs> no, hills there just isn't one yeah yeah no i'll go through to the highlights and the lowlights of the trip and we'll start <laughs> off with lowlights what was the thing you could have done without on this trip Oh, sandflies. <laughs> yes, I'd go past sandflies. Do we have sandflies in Australia? Because we hadn't experienced them before. We do in some areas, but they tend to be very localised, right? And and not so much uh, okay. over on this uh, the east coast. It's sort of, but it tends to be, uh, it does tend to be very localised. And and when you get them, you get them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's something we typically aren't used to. Um, were, no. you, were you wearing? Were you, I was going to say, were you wearing long pants and long sleeves, or short pants and short <laughs> sleeves? Uh, shorts. And, and gaiters. Gaiters, so you've got your knee gap. Yeah. <laughs> and then we wear long sleeve shirts. But yeah, they just. Any exposed hands, skin. Any. They can be quite intense in areas, aren't they? Yeah. And of course, they're always in the most beautiful areas. <laughs> like sometimes, you know where they are is wherever you want to stop for lunch is where they're <laughs> hiding. Um, 
And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't serve you well to go on about them. But like sometimes, like <laughs> no, you need to just move on, don't you? Yeah, oh, it was just such a shame. Like so, in such, that, like I heard it a couple of times that there were like Maori stories about, um, mm. like you know, the powers that be putting sandflies in to stop a really beautiful place from becoming overrun by people. <laughs> it totally works. Like, yeah, like the most astonishing mountains and, and rivers and things you, just yeah. swarming. You, can't, you, you can, with the sandflies, you can, what we found, you can either completely cover up. So I would sometimes even put my gloves on um, and it's too hot, but I've got my gloves on and everything on so that they can't bite me. Um, or keep moving. That's kind of like so the two main options, thing, the yeah. two options. Um, you can set up the tent and get in the tent, and they'll all be in the tent, and then you can kill them all, um, and then you'll have a nice night. <laughs> but, yeah, they are, yeah, they're quite – and also I think we're also not used to them. Like our bodies aren't used to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we get quite a reaction. I think some people do it as well in New Zealand, but, yeah. That's yeah, it I seemed think. like the locals were better suited to them. I think so. Yeah, so that they're a low light. All right. <laughs> um, now going going on to the highlight, what was what was the the, the couple of key things that you, you thought were just amazing? Yeah, there are just so many. Um, <laughs> key, keys, Mickey. Yeah, the keys. The, the obvious one is the people, like, yeah. um, and especially like because we were playing music, I think we had a probably more intimate experience with the. Yeah, but you can anyway. You totally can. There's so many lovely people who open their doors to have you stay, you know, as a hiker. Yeah. And. Yeah, people, fantastic people that we met. Yeah. And also hikers. And, like, our, like some of our European friends who were hiking got stuck here throughout COVID and, like, stayed with really lovely people and had a yeah. really great time. Like, it was really heartwarming to hear stuff like that. And, you know, like you say, like, at our gigs we'd say, hey, like, we've come through, you know, this this mountain range to get to this gig and, like, half the people at the gig have, have been through that mountain range and they want to talk about it. Like, it was really, really incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then of course the other obvious ones are like all the ridiculously beautiful locations. Yeah, in terms of like favorite locations, I think Nelson Lakes had both decided that. Nelson Lakes is just so <laughs> so pretty. Yeah, um, up and down, of course, lots of mountains. It's sort of like maybe the third week of the South Island as you're heading south. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if it's comparable. Like it's probably comparable to something in Chazzy, but like I'm I, trying to think about the Stratonaus or. I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's Kosciuszko esque, but like but with massive mountains, but just massive, <laughs> massive ones. Um, another great one we probably mentioned this last time we spoke to you is from Twizel to Tekapo or mm. Tekapo to Twizel. Yeah, uh, you're not allowed to camp um, for like something like 48 kilometers. So once again, the hardcore people will just walk 48 yeah. k's. But um, like people have set up like rent a bike thing like rent a bike systems where you you know you hire a bike you ride to the thing and they take your pack for you so like you just have this beautiful day riding yeah, past nice. um mount Hairaki slash mount cook um yeah yeah on and we have to get really beautiful weather and it was just like yeah so so pretty it's like the it was like the Longinary river it was sort of really fun just sort of change your speed of travel you know like walking is its own beautiful speed it's quite slow <laughs> and suddenly for one day you know you're doing something quite different and you know, it was really nice to ride a bike through you know that one day and yeah it's just yeah really enjoyable aspects like that hey yeah okay now sorry now what advice would you offer for pe- offer to people for that are looking at doing this trail Ooh. um don't plan it around a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one works. <laughs> uh, I think, well, we like to take our time, as you can probably see. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for not planning too far ahead and, um, and, and taking your time. Like, for example, we did meet some people who were, um, you know, book, they'll book so much stuff ahead, months and months ahead kind of thing. And, look, maybe I, I've never done that, I suppose, but yeah. we found that um, – we we had booked things ahead because we booked gigs ahead, but we'd also given ourselves so much time that when someone goes, oh, hey, there's this really cool side trip, we go, great, and we go off and do it. So we yeah. can take opportunities as they arise and be kind of spontaneous. So I feel like more time than you might think that you need is if, if – like, time can be a luxury, I know, but, yeah, if that's possible, I'd really recommend that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. a really good one. I'm just thinking, like, more specifically um, – it's, I've, the, I've heard stats like 90% of the people go south and obviously 10 go north. So, like, depending on how surrounded by people you mm. want to be, um, that would be a good one uh, to sort of 
figure out. Yeah, um, so like, yeah, you can, I mean, look, we don't actually know the stats from this year because I think this year, this season, I suppose, um, they've had the most people they've ever had because, of course, so many people wanted to do it the last couple of years and then they've had to defer it and so you've yeah. got a whole yeah. load of people doing it. So I'm not actually sure what the stats are, but we certainly, there's a lot of people going north this time that we met. Yeah. Much more than last time. But anyways, look, I think in the past it was kind of like you'd only ever see a couple of people going north at the same time and so... Of course, if you're going north, you're going to meet people every night, but you're probably going to be walking, like you'll cross people, but you're going to be walking more by yourself. Yeah. That was what it was when yeah. we first did it. I'm not as sure if that's true. Yeah, now. maybe it's changed. But if you're walking south, you'll be walking at the same speed as some people and you'll be crossing mm. the same the same people, you know, quite a lot of the time. So if you like that, that's good. If you don't like that, maybe you could consider going the other way. <laughs> yeah. I would say generally be kind to your body, like you're asking <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a lot of people get injured on this thing yeah. and it's not from, like, tripping over a rock, it's from overuse, yeah, as far as I can tell. Lots so. of injuries. Um, we actually didn't have any and I think it's I think it's partly because it wasn't our first sort of big long hike, that helps, and also because we took so much time off on our gigs, I think. So we had quite a bit of time to heal. A lot of time to heal. Like, for example, even this time coming back, you know, um, we'd been playing music a lot in the throughout COVID. So um, we're sort of sitting down doing these big projects and not really doing as much exercise. Yeah. And we just sort of jumped right back into the hike with almost zero prep. Yeah. And um, the, we started on the Motatapu ranges, which are pretty pointy. <laughs> and um, it was like four days, five days. Yeah. And yeah, my knees were aching by the end of it. And then um, things got a little bit flatter and that was okay, but my knees were still really sore. And then we did this week long festival over New Year's and like ate our fill at this festival and like sat down and played and then when we came back to it my knees were fine so it was like yeah, yeah it's so like it's the people that we see getting injured are the ones who are doing 40ks a day like, and not taking those breaks i suppose yeah. yeah yeah i think that's important if you're doing the big days you've got to give yourself rest days otherwise it just doesn't work yeah okay yeah. okay so one final question where to next do you have another big adventure planned <laughs> Woo! yeah we're thinking about it um you can tell. Oh, really? Well, we we want to go north. <laughs> we want to go to the Northern Hemisphere. Like, we want to go play music in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, we, I think pretty much all of our sort of uh, adventures going forward, we'll always have some kind of, like, playing music and then going for a hike. <laughs> How much we combine them like we did this one, I'm not sure. But yeah. the one that's been on our list actually for a while is um, the Pyrenees between yeah. Spain and France. And you can go coast to coast. So we've sort of been eyeing that one off. For yeah, a while. seems to be about 800 kilometres. Yeah. Um, with peaks of like 3,000, which yeah, is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been practicing my Spanish throughout lockdown. And um, yeah, it, I don't know, it seems doable. Yeah, it certainly seems it's obviously less of a time commitment than the Tarot Trail. Yeah. So maybe we could go do a tour and then go do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, it might be difficult, but, you know, when you're talking about a trail that's you know, roughly 30, roughly 20, 25 to 30% of the, the Tayaroa, you probably can't afford to sort of, you know, do it over a, um, a shorter period and, and, and leave the instruments at home sort of thing or, or send them yeah. back home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've been talking with musicians Mickey and Michelle about their awesome adventure on the Tayaroa Trail in New Zealand. Mickey, Michelle, thanks for taking your time to talk with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us back again. So that was the finish of Mickey and Michelle's Te Aroa adventure in New Zealand. Took a bit longer than they planned, I think. Uh, so really roughly around about three years by the time they started and finished it. But that's, uh, that's just the way that COVID has impacted on many people's hiking adventures over the last few years. Uh, and for me, I have this hike on my to-do list at some point. Um, I think listening to Mickey and Michelle, they said the, the way people tend to succeed with most of the trips is to do them slowly and take plenty of rest days. And I think certainly as I'm getting a bit older, I think I probably will be uh, not going as fast as I used to go. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a sort of journey though, or trip that I'm looking forward to. Well, it's certainly one that's full of um, variety and, you know, it's not just about walking, <laughs> uh, as they were talking about. I, I, I'm not so sure that I'm keen on all that water, though. Um, that, that was uh, 
um, quite quite a bit different to what we normally do and uh, uh, how we normally experience. So, you know, when they were talking about uh, following a particular river and having to cross it six times, six or seven times, um, and, you know, your feet being permanently wet, um, that doesn't sound great. But I guess it's just part of the landscape and part of, you know, the, the environment that you're walking in. I must admit, I've lived in New Zealand for, and worked in New Zealand for a couple of years, and for some reason, I did not associate the Tarara Trail with being wet. Uh, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I mean, New Zealand is not just one uh, one landscape. There are some areas that are very dry. Quite dry yeah. uh, there are some areas very wet, very snowy. Um, it really depends on where you are. But uh, really, from the description, it's almost a bit much, a bit more like uh, Tasmanian conditions, uh, where you, you do expect rain, particularly when you're doing such a long journey. You, you're going to get rain, and um, New Zealand in at certain times of the year. I lived in Auckland, and I think the average rainfall was about a thousand millimeters a year. So, um, lots of water, uh, and I had just hadn't thought about that process. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, what struck me uh, with this interview this time round is um, their energy and their enthusiasm. Um, probably because they've finished, I guess. But um, I, you know, it was such a good thing that they went back and completed it, and uh, was certainly. Um, uh, I, I guess part of uh, an important um, mission that they had, um, and yeah, they 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 did seem as if they had uh, really enjoyed it. And perhaps when we spoke to them, they'd only been hiking a little while, I guess, uh, pre-COVID. So you know, may, maybe uh, the best things were yet to come, but. Uh, and coupled with that sense of achievement, I think, you know, they were very upbeat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they started on, what were they saying, the 29th of September 2019, and they ended up finishing the trail uh, roughly towards the beginning of March. Uh, so they, uh, they, they, and I suppose in some respect, it's almost, you know, what's, what's better to get knocked off trail just after you've started or get knocked off trail when, yeah, out of a three thousand kilometer trail, you've only got four hundred odd kilometers mm-hmm. to go, um, yeah, and yet they obviously decided it was an important process to go through and finish. The other thing was, um, uh, as as you would have listened to in um, the previous episode, episode one twenty four, uh, is that um, uh, Michelle has osteoporosis and she's not that old. Uh, you know, she was diagnosed at twenty three, and it's a disease you tend to associate with older people. Um, but to get it as a, at a younger stage, which means she particularly has to be careful of how hard she pushes her body and making sure she, she listens to the signs and signals and takes rest when need be. Uh, but, you know, she's completed a trip that most people uh, will never likely do those sort of distances. And, she, you know, while it took a while, mm. um, it's, it's a pretty good achievement. Oh, it's an excellent achievement. And, you know, those most people won't have osteoporosis to contend with and and still are not out there doing this so you know that's that's pretty inspirational i i think and mickey uh, as we talked in the last episode we uh, mickey said he broke his toe uh, not for not long before uh, the trip and, and and only started a couple of weeks after michelle did uh, and this is the issue i mean toes are one of those you know if you break an arm or a black break your leg you can you think okay i can i i know this is going to impact me but toes are such small bones they can have such a major impact because pretty much your whole body weight tends to go on them and you're using your toes for balance to a great extent. Yeah, and there's not much you can do to um, help them heal. But um, I have walked, uh, I'd done a long hike with a broken toe. I just strapped it to the other toes and kept going. Uh, um, you know, probably uh, I think I describe it as walking on Nurofen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not ideal. Um, but if you have to, I guess you, you do it. Um, but yeah, that was even before he got started, I guess. So in talking to them, I think the thing that I, I've learned most out of this trip, I mean, you know, you, you expect insects, that's fine. And they said that was certainly an issue. Uh, I tend to hike in long sleeves and long pants, uh, and, you know, particularly having lived in New Zealand, I'd be inclined to 
wear a lycra glove anyway, even if it's just a fingerless glove. Uh, and I'd certainly be carrying a an insect net for my head. Uh, I think the flies would really drive me insane if I didn't. Uh, that well, that sort of thing I was expecting. The people uh, Mickey and Michelle mentioned were really uh, it was a really nice place, really good people that you know really caring people that are generally interested in what they were doing, uh, and that's what I found living in New Zealand that. Uh, New Zealand really is a, a, a country of really nice people overall. Yeah, and wasn't it fantastic that, you know, they could get um, uh, a free ride for their instruments, uh, the, the harp and the violin, um, you know, and they'd be there by the time they got to the next uh, the next stop point. Um, and, you know, as they were saying, you know, I guess people who'd paid to go to a, um, a folk concert were probably a reasonably particular kind of uh, group and probably absolutely thrilled, I would imagine, that they could have helped out and they could be part of uh, the, uh, the the music industry for a short – they could be roadies for just a short time. One thing I hadn't thought of, and again, I as much as I have this on my bucket list, I haven't I've by no means started the planning process. I just hadn't thought about lambing season. <laughs> um, you think, you know, okay, you can just, you know, particularly if you're starting up in the north, uh, you can pretty much start, um, you know, it's it's more about hitting the South Island at the right time of the year in relation to the snowfalls. Uh, but I just hadn't thought about um, impacting on farms and lambs. Uh, and, you know, and given the sheep industry is such a large part of uh, New Zealand's uh, rural economy, um, I just hadn't thought about it. So, uh, you know, this walk does go through farming areas and across farmland. Uh, so you certainly don't want to uh, hit the uh, the farms at, at, during lambing season. So it really tends to be, by the sound of it, you're starting uh, rough. I think from what Mickey and Michelle said was around about September. Uh, and if you're planning on going October, November, December, January, February, March, April, uh, that's seven months and even May, eight months, and that should get you through uh, without missing and missing the snowfall. I'd probably be inclined to finish a bit earlier than May. Uh, but certainly you've got that ability. And that's that's really your limitations on both ends of the trail, the lambing season on one end, the snow on the other, mm-hmm. and how you, how you get around both of those uh, those mechanisms. And, and by the sound of it, you don't want to start in the South Island because the, the mountains are, are, are definitely serious mountains, not what we really get here in Australia. Yeah, I guess you'd want to get used to the walking and uh, work up, as it were. Work up to the the mountains. Uh, the other thing that they were, you know, came to mind when they were talking about the lambing season, was you know the land that you're walking through is owned by all sorts of different people as well. So you know, being aware of that and understanding what you can do. When they were talking about that um, stretch of forty something kilometres where you can't ca- camp, so you know the alternative is to you know. Uh, hire a bike and and travel at a at a different speed, um, and you know, be a little bit creative and and uh, aware of the environment that you you're wandering through. One final comment I'd make here, and again, if you've listened to the whole episode and got to this point, yeah, you would have heard Mickey and Michelle talking about doing um, some river travel uh, and canoes for a, for a period, and also having to cross either by on foot 48 kilometres in a day because you weren't allowed to camp uh, or uh, you get on, you know, you have your packs taken the 48 kilometres and get on a bicycle uh, and go through and uh, uh, go that way. Um, you know, from a purist perspective, you know, is it a hike? Um, possibly not. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, they certainly walked the majority of that that entire trail. Well, it's certainly a journey and an adventure and, um, you know, I I guess for that kind of distance there wouldn't be too many um, places where you could just walk end to end. Um, And, you know, if if I guess uh, being a little bit challenging here, if you've got to cross a river and you have to get in a boat to do it, is that a hike? (laughs) So, you know, I mean, let's not be too extreme about it, but uh, it's just part of the the journey and it add, adds, I think, to the flavour and the interest. Yeah, so if, you know, at some stage you plan on doing this hike, I mean, there certainly is a lot of planning to go through and do. Um, but, you know, taking into account things that, you know, it's it does include other modes of travel unless you are up for walking 48 kilometres in a day. Uh, and, again, walking along 
you know, do you walk along the river for multiple days uh, or do you travel down the river? And again, that's a decision only you can make. Um, it really is your hike. And as the saying goes, hike your own hike. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, do the planning, absolutely, but also be a little bit flexible and, and uh, you know, be prepared to take advantage of what comes along um, any particular part of the hike and on any particular day. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this interview with Mickey and Michelle as they finished off their journey on New Zealand's long trail, the Tearoa. Hopefully, as I said, at some point I will get the opportunity to do this trip myself. Um, so many trails, so many hikes to do, um, but at some stage... So little time. So little time. <laughs> at some stage I'm hoping to get there. Okay, that's all for this week. Bye for now. And bye from me.